The Liberating Arts seeks to articulate the enduring relevance of a liberal arts education during a time of pandemic and protest. Through our online platform, we will host a series of conversations with writers, academics, institutional leaders, and public intellectuals about the nature of the liberal arts, their formational purpose, and their moral significance in a time of great cultural disruption. We hope to inspire viewers and listeners to learn more about the liberating effects of these arts on their own lives. To find out more, please visit www.deliberatingarts.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, or YouTube. Welcome to another episode of Liberating Arts. Um, I'm pleased to be talking today with Nathan Beacom, who uh, we'll hear a bit more about as our conversation proceeds. But maybe to get started, you need to know that he grew up in Iowa and has managed to return there. Uh, he and I first interact, I first came across his work as a writer in publications such as Plow, Comment, uh, Civil Eats. He's got a great interview in Civil Eats just this month uh, with the new MacArthur Genius Grant recipient doing great work on uh, regenerative or, or prairie strips in, in, uh, in, in agriculture. Uh, he's, he writes on things about, yeah, rural life, uh, agriculture, but also classical composers and their connections to the Midwest. Um, one of my favorite essays of his in Plow. And I'm always thrilled when I get the occasion or the opportunity to edit his stuff and publish him at uh, the Front Porch Republic. So if you've not read his work, check it out. He's also worked in public policy. And um, he is the, I guess, the director of this new organization that I wanted to talk to him about today and think with him and with you all uh, about its broader implications and possibilities, uh, which is this thing called the Lyceum Movement. And we'll get into the history of Lyceums in a moment, but I thought I would begin by just reading uh, their articulation of the mission. So this is a quote from the Lyceum Movement's website, which I'll link to uh, in the show notes for this, this episode. Our mission is to build meaningful communities by providing a space for neighbors to learn together in friendship. The Lyceum offers classes, events, and a shared space to explore great ideas, great deeds, great art, and the questions that affect our life together. In so doing, it seeks to shape citizens and communities well-formed in self-government for the common good. Sounds pretty good. Uh, but let's begin with the history, Nathan. Uh, begin not with, with uh, we'll get to this current iteration, but you're not starting something that's innovative. You're actually renewing something that's older. So what's the history of Lyceums? Where did the term come from? What about their history uh, appealed to you or do you think is important? Yeah. So first of all, thank you, Jeff, for inviting me to talk on here today. And I'm always very pleased when I receive an email from you about, you know, maybe reviewing a book for good. Front Porch Republic. And it gives me a good excuse to read these interesting books, too. Um, so for the background on the Lyceum, uh, the term originally comes from ancient Athens. And you may have encountered it um, in a philosophy class somewhere along the line. There were two schools, two famous schools in ancient Athens for philosophy, and one was Plato's Academy, and the other was Aristotle's Lyceum. Um, Aristotle's Lyceum was held in a garden called the Lyceum, so it originally comes from the name of that garden, and uh, 
Aristotle's students, he and his students were called peripatetics or walkers because they just walk around the garden and talk about philosophy. Um, and so that name carried on down through history um, as kind of this name for different schools. And, uh, and in the American context, it was the name given to this movement in, I guess you could say public education in the 19th century. So uh, that movement was started by a farmer in Connecticut named Josiah Holbrook, and it was 1826. And he was inspired by this idea of the Lyceum. And his thought was that ideas and philosophy and thinking about government and the common good and culture, uh, all of those things didn't just belong in what were the elite universities of the time, you know, in Boston or in Connecticut or wherever they were, uh, but were things that people who are mechanics or farmers or working people of all kinds were capable of engaging with, interested in engaging with. It was meaningful to ask questions about how to live well and, and the purpose of human life and human community. Um, and so he started this initial Lyceum in Connecticut. And the kind of mission aspect also was that people in uh, a democratic republic need to be well-formed because they get a chance to participate in their own government. And so uh, you have all these little pieces from different founding fathers, from John Adams or, or Patrick Henry or whoever about, you know, if all of this thing is going to work, it's going to have to rely on the quality of the citizens to be intellectually well-formed, morally well-formed. Um, and so that was part of the purpose of it was to responsibly handle the weight of responsibility of government. And that doesn't just mean voting for president. It means town hall meetings and county boards and things like that, you've got to be well-formed to take those responsibilities on. And so that, from that little spot in Connecticut, it really took off in the 19th century and spread across, especially the Northeast and Midwest. There were thousands of lyceums uh, at its height and any town of significant size would have one and even many small towns. So if you just start looking and poking around you know, here where I am in Iowa or in Minnesota, Nebraska, you see you'll encounter existing old Lyceum buildings that are being used for something else, or you'll find old newspaper records of the Lyceum. And here in Des Moines, it was one of the first things that was built in town, one of the first things organized in 18, 1851. Uh, we'd only been a state for, I think, less than a decade at that point. Um, and at the same time, there was also founded in Des Moines uh, Black Lyceum from after the war when there was the Great Migration and uh, there was a growing Black community in northern cities. And that was a center for um, that community's culture and vibrancy in this town and in many other towns as well. So there was a part of it that was always meant to be kind of equitable and democratic. Um, and at that time around the Civil War, it was kind of at its height. And if you had uh, a big idea, you would be presenting it at the Lyceums. And so Frederick Douglass was making his arguments against slavery at Lyceums. Uh, um, Susan B. Anthony was talking about uh, suffrage at the Lyceums. Mark Twain and Emerson and Thoreau were all reading their work at the Lyceums. And a recent one I found out that I think is cool is Alexander Graham Bell, when he first had that successful 
full telephone call, took it to the Lyceum as to demonstrate it. Um, so it was just, it was the place where the community got together to do its thinking and learning. And um, that was, it flourished for that part of the century. Um, and there were a couple other sim similar movements. People might've heard of the Chautauqua um, that were alongside and at the same time. And these kind of movements continued to flourish in one form or another about up until uh, World War II. And uh, my sense is that after that, basically mass media, some of the changes in the way we work and where we moved um, made it so that that's how we got our ideas and dealt with ideas was uh, through cable news and then eventually through social media and all of that. So um, yeah, that's that's, I guess, the, the kind of general arc of the history as I see it. And um, the notion is that, uh, okay, there were these, and I put it on an analogy to, to farming. So there was these uh, benefits of scale that came about and we learned we could do things really big and give everybody access in both farming and in, uh, in media or in the intellectual world. Um, but it took us a while to see what we were missing and what we lost in going into those forums and the health of not just the actual soil, but the social soil and the intellectual soil um, has kind of been neglected. And we see that in the way some of the problems and difficulties we have with talking about ideas in public now. And so that notion is people kind of recognize that. And so that's the entry point for uh, the Lyceum to return. Yeah, that's helpful. And I like that agricultural analogy. I think that's great. Um, it, it is interesting. I mean, a lot of the people, most 19th century American public intellectuals that we think about today, as you say, tried out their ideas on the Lyceum. And, you know, a lot of them would talk about how they would get their lecture for the cycle and then they would kind of refine it over the year um, and, and see how it landed, what questions they got. And kind of it was an opportunity for them, I guess, to refine in front of a live audience, uh, you know, how things worked. But if you look at some of these uh, Lyceum programs, you know, they'll have the Frederick Douglass or the Emerson or the Thoreau or like the big name person, but then there's also a lot of local people. And so um, they're more, I guess, yeah, open to participation than these forms of mass media that, that end up kind of channeling the one uh, authoritative celebrity or the voice and disseminating it across the nation. Uh, yeah, so we lose, it seems like part, part of the history there is a loss of participation and a loss of local uh, engagement. Um, I don't know, anything else you would say about that? It seems to me like a key, a key uh, good that has been lost in the last 50 or 75 years. Yeah, and I think that's exactly correct. And. I think part of it, so the first thing you mentioned is they would have to try out their ideas. And I think that's important because the, our, our big intellectuals or whatever, you know, can have their, expand their ideas in the classroom or on TV, but to have pushback from yeah. people who are probably way outside of their bubble and have to think about when they're putting the idea, okay, how is this going to be heard by a sort of person I'm not used to speaking to? Um, I think that's a useful thing for sharpening ideas. And then at the other time, uh, you know, there's just this disconnect on both sides of uh, these kind of elite thinkers don't really know or care what 
working people think. And then uh, on the other hand, the those thinkers not having the opportunity to sharpen those ideas in that way. And then on the local level, we have lots and lots of smart and capable and thoughtful people, but there isn't a venue for them to share their ideas or have their ideas challenged or uh, just have these conversations in a public way a lot of times, especially in cities that aren't kind of the several large metros. Um, and, and so that is definitely part of the idea is that it's not just like watching a YouTube video and consuming an idea or having uh, a catchphrase or a talking point thrown at you, but having actually engage and uh, push and pull with your neighbor. And the hope is that by doing that, we become sharper and we build trust and start to understand each other better, even when we disagree. Yeah, I think that's an, uh, helpful. Maybe maybe we should make it more explicit, I guess, some of the similarities between 19th century uh, American politics, culture, and today's. And maybe at one place to begin is this issue of trust that, uh, you know, during the 19th century, the antebellum years, uh, it wasn't exactly a golden age. There was a lot of mistrust, uh, a lot of new media that led to, you know, patent medicines, quack medicines, mm. a lot of concerns with uh, obviously slavery or these other big political issues that were very divisive. Uh, lots of uh, religious turmoil, all these new denominations and, and religious movements starting. So uh, I don't know, what, what sort of are the key parallels that if, if the Lyceums were a helpful venue in, in antebellum America and then on through the early 20th century, why might they also be helpful uh, in today's political and, and cultural context? Yeah, I think that's a great point about the turmoil of that time and, and even, you know, the way that you could glorify the way that media used to be compared to today, but right. you would just have those partisan newspapers at the time where yeah. it would just be the, the uh, Dallas County Republican and the some County Democrat, and they were unabashedly just, this is our party line, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that is a different way of receiving information versus um, talking and engaging with your neighbors and, and also talking about things that are bigger or deeper than yeah. whatever the hot button issue is. Um, and so I, I think that is part of it is it was, it's a way even then to reestablish trust and to challenge ideas. Um, the parallel that I see, uh, closely in is actually kind of more towards the end of the 19th century in certain ways, beginning of the 20th. So, um, you have, um, the book Bowling Loan, Robert Putnam's book about how strong, thick community ties existed in uh, the 40s and 50s, and everybody was engaged, and there was a lot of trust, and you knew your neighbor's names, and that has just declined, 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 and then precipitously dropped off since the 90s. Um, his more recent book was called The Upswing, and the point was, okay, it was here at, in the 40s and 50s, but that doesn't mean it was always super awesome. And at the end of the 19th century, there was a lot of shaking up after the war um, with the way that manufacturing was changing and people moving in a big wave of urbanization, moving places. And um, there, a lot of the things that we see about social isolation existed kind of in that time too. And there was a conscious effort by 
people, especially in rural places and in the Midwest, to try to create things to stem the tide of individualism. So this was the time of social Darwinism too, where there was actually an ethic of just, you know, succeed if you can and too bad if you can't. Um, and so that's when the Rotary Club and the Kiwanis Club and the Lions Club and all these things came about that created a better situation in the middle of the century. And part of that was the Lyceum and then a new manifestation um, called the Public Forum Movement. Um, and so to me, that's kind of how I think about a similar time. Okay, we, we have a lot of isolation. We have a lack of trust, a lack of understanding. Uh, a lot of demographic sorting. And uh, so what do we need to do? We need to kind of have grassroots efforts to intentionally um, come together and build community and rebuild. I, I, I think in a particular way, um, you know, Rotary is about getting together and, and finding ways to serve the community and having a community mindset. And I think the Lyceum is also about getting together and kind of understanding a shared world, getting a shared sense of the world so that we kind of have a feeling that um, because we've talked about these big ideas together, uh, we have an understanding of the words we're using and of how other people are thinking. And then when we talk about politics, we can refer to a common understanding and then hopefully have more productive conversations. Yeah, I think that's that's good uh, and helpful to kind of see how um, see what need a, a lyceum today might meet. Um, okay, so I want to I want to move a little bit to what led you to found this uh, or to, to, to work on this, and maybe one way to begin at begin is you're a, you've written publicly a lot. You've been a participant in the Republic of Letters. What led you personally to want to instead uh, focus some energy on I don't know, a republic of voices or a republic of faces I and mean, getting people uh, not just dialoguing about ideas through uh, online or print publications, but also through these local in-person gatherings. Yeah. Um, so that story kind of goes back a long ways um, in to the extent that when I discovered the Republic of Letters, and I appreciate that, that kind of comparison of Republic letters to Republic of faces. Um, I, when I first kind of encountered that thing was in high school and that's when I had a lot of questions and got turned on to philosophy and, uh, and some other kinds of literature and really started delving into that. And I would have some friends from high school uh, to the backyard and we'd sit around the fire pit and, and talk about those things. And that was fun. And I thought, you know, there's really like, historically there have been places maybe it was even just like the tavern or something but there have been places for people to do that and I couldn't think of any place like that in Des Moines and so I had just this idea in the back of my head wouldn't it be great to create this warm space with uh, leather chairs and lots of books and beer and people could get together and learn and talk together okay so that just sat in my head for a long time um I went to uh, college and I studied philosophy. As I mentioned to you earlier, I studied philosophy with the intent of becoming a philosopher, uh, only to discover that it's really a kind of a bear market for philosophers these days. Um, 
And so I was led instead through a meandering series of things into the political sphere where I worked in a think tank in DC for a little while. Uh, and then I worked back in the Midwest in state level public policy. And that put me into both uh, conservative and progressive spaces at different times and really sharpened the awareness that people don't have a common language or a shared understanding of what the other side or other people are thinking or of thinking in a way that isn't along one of those two orthodoxies. Um, and the need then to go deeper to what is pre-political and establish relationships and understanding around that uh, instead of having every conversation we have be yeah. the partisan or culture war like. Um, and you see that right now in the school board things where local, everything local has become dominated by the, yeah. the manufactured sometimes crisis that, you know, somebody on a national level has, has created in one way or another. And that's not one side of the aisle or the other, it's everybody. Um, so, so I, anyhow, I, I had had that idea for a long time and, and, uh, and here's another thing of, you know, politics aside, I talked to uh, Roger Scruton at uh, a conference and I said, I had this idea, you know, because he had been talking about, um, I think what the project that you're doing is about of liberal arts, not just limited to a university context. Right. And, um, and he, uh, you know, emphasized that pre-political thing as well. So just these different little touch points and then the Robert Putnam thing, I cold emailed him. Um, and, uh, and then ultimately I think I was just in a position this year, uh, to be able to, to take a jump more into that. And to, as I learned more about the Lyceum, uh, history, I became ready to believe more and more that this is not totally uh, a pie in the sky thing that if it existed once there's a way and an appetite somewhere uh inside of people for it to exist again um and so the through line is like you said the republic of letters is that um the kind of questions that are dealt with in that world of writing and philosophy are belong to human beings yeah. not just to professors and so uh um, yeah, so it's it's kind of along that same idea of to put people in contact with that stuff. Um, and I can talk more about the practical uh, practical organizational things that led to it being kicked off later if, if you like. Sure. Well, maybe maybe on the practical note, you sh we should talk about just so people have a feel for this, what kinds of events you have hosted, what kinds of events you hope to host? Uh, what is a typical Lyceum gathering? look and feel like yeah so we've hosted events in a handful of states uh the largest being here in des moines and the form that they have they take is that there will be and like you said it's a local speaker or a set of speakers who will be engaged on a single question and so the the most recent question we had in des moines um, and it, they're kind of meant to put universal ideas into local yeah. context. And so our most recent one was 
what does Iowa nice really mean? Is it a real thing? And that's a phrase if you're not from Iowa that Iowans and most Midwesterners like to say about themselves is we're Iowa nice. They're, you know, we're like particularly polite or kind or hospitable. And the question is, is that really, is that still a thing? Do we still have it? What, what led it to that reputation to come about? Um, have we lost it? What can we do to get it back? Is it an ethical demand on our lives, an aspirational thing for us uh, that we fall short of and can be called to? And so we had three people with unique perspectives here in Des Moines. Um, we had, um, yeah, a, a diverse set of voices who each had a different kind of perspective. And then for the second half, people broke into their what we call discussion crews mm. of about 12 people and uh, with beer and wine had it out together. Uh, and then at the end of the day, we come back together in a large group and each group has a toast that comes out of their discussion, a toast and a commission. So each group will elect a person to share a toast, something praiseworthy that came out of their discussion or praiseworthy about the community. And then a commission, which is a specific ask or call uh, for the community to commit to. And so that's that's one type of event. Um, it's not the only type of event we'll host, but um, thus far people have really shown, even if they're not sure what it is at the beginning, a hunger and then a lot, getting a lot of energy from having the chance to talk to people in their community who they don't know yet about those things. Yeah, and it's about something that's substantive and important, but also not something that... Um... Uh, is already captured by, as you said earlier, the kind of national culture war politics where um, al almost we can't think about it anymore because we, we have to signal our allegiance to some political ideology or something. And so uh, right. it, it's like thinking turns off because it's our identity to, to belong. So that's, yeah, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe I'll ask this question now. You know, part of our interest in the Liberating Arts Project is um, how the liberal arts and this tradition that it names might accomplish the work of moral and intellectual formation. So, you know, we started this um, in the early days of the pandemic during the, the, the Black Lives Matters protests that were, that were sweeping the nation. Um, and sometimes when we're, when we're faced with political or economic or social um, challenges, real problems, there can be a, um, a temptation, especially I think in America, to look for a quick technocratic or legal solution. We got to pass this law. We got to come up with this vaccine. We got to uh, do this job training to get these people back to work. Um, and, and that can kind of shortcut uh, the work of moral or intellectual formation. And, and I love the way that you put it in the, the mission about, um, you know, the goal is to shape people who are well-formed in self-government for the common good. So uh, I guess, what do you, how do you imagine the Lyceum and these events that you just described actually shaping the people who then walk out their doors back, back to their homes and workplaces and communities? Yeah. So in part, one piece of the shaping is just being in a room together with your neighbors talking about these things rather than being online or just thinking yeah. in your own head. Yeah. Um, and then that causes you to encounter the other person as a person, yeah. to take account of them as a person, even if they disagree with you. And because you're encountering them as a person, you're forced to uh, 
become or or you have maybe you're not forced but you're given the opportunity to become more nuanced in your thinking um to reason together with somebody rather than just on your own um and and that i think is a counter to ideological thinking to be in contact with particular people and particular local realities that evade ideological categories um and then additionally there's an ethos to the lyceum so we have uh, a list of four questions that we ask people to put towards whatever the statement being discussed is and then we have six habits that if you're entering the lyceum habits of how to talk or habits of conversation so those are virtues that if you are entering this conversation you're committing to trying to develop um and so there is kind of that ethical practice of okay we're putting before each other as a community this set of norms or set of virtues that we are trying to grow in and that will help us better be able to discern the truth and interact with people um and then additionally there's just the intellectual formation of having the opportunity to engage with ideas in a different way and um to have your mind formed so there's the the kind of virtue of conversation and then there's also enriching your mind by being exposed to these uh ideas that you know would have come from the liberal arts tradition and uh hearing from historians and from writers and uh in that way building the soil of your own mind and then building the soil of the community to have good ideas grow yeah, it's helpful. I think I just finished the book review of Chris Bale's um, Breaking the Social Media Prism. I don't know if you've seen this book, but he talks about how uh, one of the things they do is they they do surveys where people, you know, list here are my political opinions, all these things, and then they talk to them. Uh, and when they ask them questions, they find out, oh, you know, I thought the stereotype was if you have this view on gun control, you also got this view on abortion or this view. And people don't actually fit those boxes. And a lot of people, even when they, you know, if you if you ask the question in a binary manner, they, they might select one or the other. When you talk to them, you realize it's a lot more complicated than that. And they have various idiosyncratic reasons for, for holding these positions. Um, and, and so that they realize that there's this quite quite a stark divide between how people perform on social media or how people register and these, you know, surveys and polls versus how people are in real life. And I think uh, the kind of face-to-face -face conversation that the Lyceums can foster and that, uh, that setting uh, is so needed in an age where we more and more relate to one another just uh, as kind of, you know, demographic blocks right this well, these people i know what they think because i know what, <laughs> what zip code they're from what race they are what how they voted last election whatever and um yeah we don't talk to our neighbors and realize that reality is a lot more complicated and more interesting and uh more possibilities for uh common ground perhaps they might <laughs> um are there are there any other organizations or individuals who have inspired you? you? You've mentioned some of the connections already, I guess. But uh, who else do you see doing this kind of work um, of fostering the conversations that form people who want to seek and then are equipped with the the moral and intellectual habits um, to actually 
seek the common good? Yeah. Um, so as far as existing organizations, I know there are people doing this in really small ways. Like there are people out there just doing, making an effort to do something like this on their own. Yeah. Um, and that's just kind of scattered piecemeal efforts. Um, one thing that uh, th there's also been a lot of interest in the last uh, couple years in what have been called bridge building organizations for, for bridging the partisan divide. And um, there are people, there are some, you know, there are people taking different tacks on that, different strategies for, for how to address that. Um, and so there is some similarity in that, in the sense that uh, that's part of what the Lyceum hopes to, to be helpful with. Um, and the most prominent among those groups is probably Braver Angels. Yeah. And that group is specifically about you come in as a red or a blue. This, this is hopefully I'm characterizing this correctly. Um, but you come in kind of conscious of, okay, we have these partisan allegiances and we're going to talk about the things that are hard to talk about and try to talk about them in better ways. So these particular issues that are points of conflict between left and right. Um, and then on the other hand, um, there's another organization that shares some similarities uh, with the Lyceum on a different end. And that's not this political bridge building end, but the intellectual formation end. And uh, that's called the Catherine Project and yeah. started by Zena Hitz and uh, a lot of people from um, St. John's College um, kind of involved in that. And it's a, it's a way for people to access um, great books, seminars of the kind, I think, that they have there and um, for working people to do that together. Um, and they, they have Zoom meetings and they read books together. Um, the Lyceum is distinct from these kind of partisan bridge building things in that it's not, it's not doing that thing of, okay, reds and blues, let's come talk about politics together. It's saying, everybody, let's get together and talk about things that are bigger and deeper and broader than the things we're always mad at each other about. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so in a sense, it's trying to do that in part because as a way of getting around the partisan conflict, but it's also doing some of that intellectual formation that something like the Catherine Project is doing. So um, it's a benefit is, is addressing that partisan problem, uh, the problem of isolation and and uh, some of these other sociological things, but um, the meat of it is just a chance actually just to learn to think in a, in a really liberal way. Um, and so I mentioned that people, you have people with good ideas and resources, and that could be a community leader who's speaking, like, uh, um, you know, the person who runs the youth shelter in town, or it could be you know, somewhere in your vicinity, likely there's a college, you know, unless, unless you're really somewhere, somewhere deep, deep in the wilderness. Um, and there are people there who are, who know a lot of interesting things about history or about literature, or about astrophysics or whatever. And we want to bring all of those people to the Lyceum and give uh, working adults a chance to have that place to continue learning. Yeah, I love the way you framed that. Uh, it's helpful, I think. Um, 
I wonder if you would mention Braver Angels. Um, but I, I think what you said is just right that that the, the Lyceum is trying to do something that's kind of pre-political and um, offering, you know, maybe maybe responding to a similar problem that something like Braver Angels is responding to, but taking a different tack. And I'm, you know, they're both fine. I'm not I'm not opposed to either. But I think the Lyceum one. And as an educator, it, it excites me more because it's offering the goods of the intellectual life um, to to a broader set of people. And also, it's reminding us that those goods have to be common uh, to be enjoyed. We have to share them and we have <laughs> to, uh, you know, think together. Uh, there's no, you know, sorry, sorry, Descartes, but there's no like closing yourself in your little mind and coming up to truth, truth on your own. So I think it's a recognition of the, the, the embedded communal nature of all of our thinking and then helping us to, to do that better together. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And part of, you know, I, I do have friends who, who did go into the, the philosopher uh, market. <laughs> um, and uh and part of the thing is you can, you do get that chance for a little while in college. And, and some of those conversations really are freer to talk and, and explore ideas and, and, uh, and not just to be butting heads. Um, and that's something that's really great. And I think a lot of people enjoy having that opportunity in university. And then once they're gone, it's okay. There's just not a plat, not a space right. to do that anymore. So it really is a good, uh, a good in itself of human life to be able to do that. And so, yeah, that's a very, argument. so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. maybe, you know, if we're talking about organizations, uh, I know there's some relationship between, uh, the Lyceum movement and another organization, which I have great admiration for, which is lead for America. Um, so maybe talk, talk to us about that connection and, um, how you see the Lyceum movement in relationship to what they're doing. Yeah. So, Lead for America is a nonprofit that uh, centrally does runs a fellowship program. So uh, the idea is that you would take um, really excellent students, well-qualified students coming out of university who might be bound for Boston or the Bay Area or wherever, um, and, and think that's the step. You know, that's that's the narrative. That's the path towards success. Um, and to offer them a fellowship instead to return kind of to their home place um, or a home place and, and, and work for their own community and become a leader in their own community. And so um, I think a shared appreciation that you and I would have for that is the dedication to, to place and community yeah. and um, counteracting maybe a more individualist thing of just pursue my career and, and instead uh, investing in the community that that raised me or that gave me so much um and so that organization i met along the line uh benya kraus from that organization and i had shared with her this lyceum idea and as i was kind of stewing and it was fermenting more um she really encouraged me to put together a, a more formal plan for it and um I then came into conversations with Lead for America, and it's very much kind of along the lines of um, their thinking as well on some of these issues of community building and 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 coming to more of a common understanding um, and of community education and all that. So um, the result of that was um, that uh, 
the Lycia movement uh, became sponsored uh, by Lead for America. And um, there's an opportunity for their fellows to begin taking this uh, format and platform and some of the materials of the Lyceum and, and to be uh, uh, applying that in their own communities. So that's maybe one of the avenues you're anticipating, hoping uh, by which the Lyceum movement can become a movement and not just, as you said, another excellent, good, but kind of piecemeal thing in say Des Moines or somewhere else. Right, right. And, and part of the thing about some of these different conversation or, or dialogue initiatives that have happened in the past is they were designed by somebody in Washington, D.C. or at a university somewhere and then really well funded and they just were like, here it is. Um, but communities, for, for this to work in communities, it has to be community driven. And uh, especially if there's a lack of trust, you have to build trust by working within the community and not coming in and saying, I know exactly what's right for you and you're wrong and you need to fix yourselves, but rather saying, okay, there are people in every community who are interested in learning and interested in developing their minds and, and uh, of finding a place to do that as a community and uh, identifying who those people are and, or having those people, you know, be attracted to this idea. This is how the original Lyceum spread is some local leader was attracted to the idea and became kind of the engine for the Lyceum as it would manifest, you know, according to that own particular community. And so, uh, so yeah, in one respect, if these fellows are returning to their own communities and that's the place where they have relationships and, and, um, and trust and things like that, and it's where they're invested, then that could be um, one way of, of Lyceums cropping up in different places. And what about people who, who aren't fellows? I mean, are there other ways that folks in other parts uh, of the country might get involved with what you're doing? I mean, I think they can see on the website there's a half dozen or so locations so far, but what other uh, opportunities might there be for folks to get involved? Yeah, so um, just you can follow us on uh, all of our uh, online presences. The kind of shtick with the online presence, though, is that it's meant to direct you back off right. your computer. Right. Um, That's what it's like being the editor of FPR, right? It's an online website devoted to strengthening local life. So there's some inherent tensions there always. Right. Right. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's that interesting interplay of those two things. Um, so, so that being said, yeah, so follow us on there and then, um, there's a link on the website about, you know, joining and you can sign up there and send a little message of interest. Um, and so people, yeah, it's, it's open for people to, um, begin kind of self-organizing, uh, a chapter in their own place. And in the coming year, we're going to kind of, we'll have a series of, uh, essays, that are going to be monthly and kind of a theme so that Lyceums can discuss them across mm. uh, across the various cities or towns where they're held. And that again is meant to be, there's a balance of we're thinking about something together, but each town will be thinking about it in terms of that town's own mm. concerns and context. Um, 
so yeah, that's that's kind of where the general thing of where things are headed in the next year. And and you could organize a chapter if you were interested, uh, or a person could do that and um, kind of have this this piece of writing that we provide as a spirit of discussion, um, and then uh, you know kind of then take that and springboard off of that into organizing their own community uh, event or conversation. Great. Well, thank you so much, Nathan. I'm uh, really thrilled about this, this work you're doing, and I hope it uh, flourishes and spreads and you know, develops in ways you could never predict as it, uh, as it takes root across different places and, and different ecosystems. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I, I hope so, too.